today and I highlight the half of each week. Episode 33 on Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with Tom Fox and Matt Kelly, where each week we take a deep dive into the weeds on an issue around compliance and ethics. Today we take a deep dive into a recent speech by William Dudley, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, excuse me, that he gave in London about corporate culture and Matt's article on it entitled Great Speech About Improving Corporate Culture. We consider the uh, advice given by uh, Governor uh, Dudley. We take a look at the fraud triangle and how a controls values and culture program can work to prevent uh, any delineations under the fraud triangle. The episode comes in at uh, just around 20 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with my friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, where we take a deep dive into a compliance-related subject uh, as the geeks that uh, Matt and I are. So, Matt, uh, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to talk to you. Matt, you uh, you took an interesting turn this week with a blog post about a speech from William Dudley, the president of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York that was about corporate culture, and then you used that to really launch into what I thought was a very good description of how companies can stay out of a cultural morass. So maybe if you could uh, talk to the listeners about the speech and uh, what really struck you that uh, you know you put a, a blog post around it. Sure. So th- this was a great speech, and I would encourage any compliance officer, inside or outside banking, doesn't make a difference, really, read his speech and think about it. Uh, so Bill Dudley is the head of the New York Federal Reserve. As such, he is an important regulator for banks, and he is an important regulator for big banks, which is why he wound up actually giving this speech the other day in London where he was speaking at the Banking Standards Board. Uh, That is a group I had not quite heard of recently, but um, the BSB is really thinking about how to encourage banks to become more trustworthy to the public. So a big part of that is how they do uh, move away from the culture that most people seem to think banks have, and I, I think they think of the banks that way because they're correct that banks have a a bad reputation about their culture, that it's uh, rather predatory and short-term focused. And then if the bank can pass along unpleasant consequences to somebody else, that's not the bank's problem. That is the stigma that's out there about how banks care. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that 100%, but I probably agree with it more than 50%. Um, So that was what Bill Dudley wanted to talk about, is how banks as a whole can get away from this culture problem they have. Um, He singled out three things. We can get into them uh, in a few more minutes here. But he really said that banks should be looking at what is their stated purpose? What is their value, their value system? What are they about? Uh, Then they should be thinking about how they can assess their employees' attitudes and beliefs about these values and the mission of the bank and how close employees think the bank really is to what the mission statement is on the break room wall. Uh, And then he said, you know, you should also look at the incentives that you are giving employees on a practical daily basis. And are those incentives 
really driving people to absorb and practice and implement the culture that you should want the bank to have and the mission the should the bank should be about. So that was his his big three was what's the mission, what's the assessment of your culture, and then how are the incentives affecting employee attitudes over time. And like I said, anybody in any industry, you can get behind what those three things are. So in terms of uh, it was pretty stark uh, when you wrote about the um, BSB survey on the um, whether the banks understood their core value, whether the bank's employees understood their core values and appreciated them. And what really struck me was there were 14 percent said that there were was or is a conflict between the bank's stated values and its uh, daily culture. Um, even with typical British understatement, that's still a, a, a very big disconnect. Yeah. So the, the BSB had done this survey uh, and they published it last week. Uh, I think it's worth reading if you're a compliance geek such as myself. And if you are in compliance specifically in banking, you definitely want to read this. Some of the others not in banking, you probably still want to read it. But the BSB survey encompassed, I believe, just more than 28,000 bank employees. I believe they were mostly British because this was done out of London. But at 28,000 people, all of these findings are going to be very relevant for any banking uh, organization at all. And what was most interesting was 80% of these survey participants said, yes, we understand what the bank says its mission is, but only 65% said, and we see that in our daily operations. So what, one third of them said, we don't see this mission statement in our daily operations. And then like you called out, um, 14% said there is a marked difference between what the mission statement is and what's really going on in the bank. And the bigger the bank, the higher that percentage actually was. I, I don't have a breakdown off the top of my head about you know, various institutions, but across overall, 14% said, no, we don't see the, the, the bond, the alignment there between operations and the values in the culture. And the bigger the bank, the bigger that number. And that, that's not good for anybody, but it, it speaks right to the culture problem that banks and many other businesses are worried about right now. And I guess what the uh, other thing to, that struck me in terms of this, Matt, was I read yesterday that the that Wells Fargo has uh, lost over 55 percent of their accounts uh, since their scandal broke 18 months ago. And so this a bank's purpose uh, can be evaluated by uh, everyday customers. And I, I think so, yeah. You know, when those customers walk, uh, that can be if you have a large com uh, consumer banking uh, division. Uh, that can be a serious sanction, and it's certainly a very big reputational black eye. You know, so what Bill Dudley had said was, uh, getting back to his first point, what is the purpose of the bank, and right. what is the bank for? He said the most important thing for a bank is that it should be about long-term stability for itself, so it can continue to play the very crucial role that banks do play in the financial sector and the economy as a whole. But picking up on your Wells Fargo point there, you know, that scandal really told the public Wells Fargo's primary goal was not long-term stability for the financial sector and for the bank. Its primary goal was sell stuff to customers so much that even if you can't quite get them all, why don't you just fake a few corporate accounts and we'll turn a deaf ear when people complain? And it was a terrible problem. 
Now, I will say Wells Fargo, since last year, has made very good strides to try to turn that image around. But the public has already seen that. You know, it was a big, huge, honking signal that they sent that our image, what we're about, is not long-term stability. It's something else that the customers didn't really agree with. And look where the bank is. Like you said, this is real repercussions for Wells. And the new executives there, you know, they've got a lot of filling in of a very deep hole that they found themselves in. They're, and they're trying to get out, but that hole's deep. It's going to be a lot of climbing and a lot of fill that they have to do to, to turn it around. And when I read that section of your blog post, uh, not being from the financial or financial services industries, uh, but I took that point really for 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 non uh, for regular commercial entities, you've got to have a longer term vision. You've got to have a much more long term goal around both culture and, of course, leading to compliance. And so that point Dudley raised, I thought, ties directly into to any business, publicly listed or not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think that, you know, flip that on its head and try to go to a board and a CEO and say, you should not be concerned about long-term stability for your business. They would all look at you like you just landed from Mars and you have no idea what you're talking about. And they'd be correct. But when we do frame it the way Dudley said, focus on long-term stability. Everybody at first says, well, yeah, of course, that's what we want. But then you need to think through how do you actually structure incentives and culture and everything else around that foundational value of long-term stability. And that's where a lot of banks and a lot of other companies, I think, they still struggle. So you had a blog post last week, which you were able to dovetail into uh, some of the thoughts and comments into this post, but it really worked around the the basic concept of the fraud triangle, but how compliance can step in and help uh, mitigate or form a line of defense around that. And you started with culture and how that is a defense to high pressure uh, as opposed to a high performance culture. Uh, Could you uh, really uh, explain that again? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I have come to like this idea and there's a picture on my blog this week, you know, on, on radicalcompliance.com. Look up this post. You know, we all see the fraud triangle. We'll link to it in the show notes. Don't worry. <laughs> the, you know, the fraud triangle has pressure and rationalization and opportunity. And those three things converge to drive a person to commit misconduct. You know, the triangle was specifically about fraud, but really it applies to any type of misconduct. And what are the three countervailing forces against that? And the countervailing force against pressure to deliver would be culture that don't go off the deep end to deliver. Do not create false accounts. Do not bribe a foreign official. Do not, um, you know, arrange some sort of anti-competitive deal with competitors, uh, you know, so that there's an antitrust risk or something. You know, you really need a culture that says we value high performance. We want you to try as hard as you can. But here are these guardrails. And one of the most important guardrails the senior executives need to communicate, I think, is that it is okay for you to try and fail, and we will not hang you out to dry. We will let you try again. But we expect you to try as hard as possible within the confines. And that's high performance. When you tell them you have to succeed no matter what, that's high pressure. And that's where when people only sell six accounts in a day instead of eight, 
well, why don't we just fabricate two accounts more for the week? So I hit my quota and then I'll get them away next week. And that was the culture that had afflicted Wells Fargo for quite a while. And it, it there are similar sorts of pressures elsewhere. I, it's a fine line, but in, if you want employees to change and improve, you need to communicate to them that they can try to change. And if they come up short, we're not totally going to railroad you or throw you on uh, on the unemployment line or anything else. It's crucial. I, I mean, I think that's just as true when you're trying to you know, potty train a toddler at home. They need to know that they can try at first. And then if they have an accident, that's not the end of the world, you know, that you keep on going. I'm going through this with my toddler at home right now. So <laughs> the idea of trying as hard as you can, but not punishing for failure, uh, you know, that's that's the, the line that needs to be communicated, the culture that needs to be fostered. And that's the board and the CEO. They need to do that job. So the second part of the fraud triangle is opportunity. And here you once again detail that it's it's the controls that can be the defense to opportunity. Uh, could you maybe walk us through that? Yeah. So it, you, you need some way to commit misconduct. And um, I think that the countervailing force to being able to commit it is some block that you can't commit it. Um, so that's where you might get into segregation of duties. That's where you might get into strong policies, monitoring, tracking intermediaries, payments, things like that. Um, you know, but I do think that really the two most important pieces of the fraud triangle are the pressure to do this and the rationalization that, okay, you know, I'm, I really, I guess I am going to do this. You know, it's, it's not quite as bad as people think, or I've been good so far, so it's okay for me to do it now. If you lose people on the pressure and the rationalization, I don't care how good your controls are. If they've decided they need to commit misconduct to succeed, they're going to commit misconduct. I don't know how. I don't know how they're going to short circuit your controls, but they will find a way to do it. And so while I love segregation of duties uh, you know, and good policy management, we can talk about those till the cows come home. Really, where does it matter? It's in the pressure and the rationalization, and how are your values and your culture pushing back against those two? So really, the the next one, though, in the fraud triangle is rationalization. And here you uh, say the at least the first line of defense is values. And when I uh, looked at your diagram, I wondered how much of that is internal to an employee as opposed to uh, something that can be um, modeled for them, uh, give them training on or uh, incentivized to do so. But perhaps you could explain how the values really fall follow from the culture and the controls. They don't stand alone. Well, call me naive, but I believe that the vast majority of normal people out there do not think of themselves as inherently evil or bad people who are going out looking to run a scam. There's a tiny percentage of people who have you know, the psychotic tendencies or psychopathic tendencies, I'm sorry, you know, where values don't really apply to them. But most people do adhere to a, a certain sort of moral sense that I, you know, I'm not a bad person. And so they rationalize, why do they do these things? Well, because I'm under a lot of pressure at my job to succeed, or, you know, I might have some sort of personal issues, or maybe I'm being blackmailed and I don't know where to turn. But, you know, it's not, they're, they're going to think to themselves, I'm not bad. I'm just, it's a special exception what I'm doing here. 
and then it goes off and then it starts rolling downhill and then you've got much bigger problems eventually. What they're doing is they're saying my values are still okay, but there are certain circumstances here that make this misconduct something I have to do anyways. That's bogus, but the best way to do that, to counteract that, is to really help them support their values and give them a culture and an environment where they can. You know, certainly if they feel pressure to meet the sales quota at all times or you will get fired, that's a culture problem. They should know that if you try your damnedest and you come up a tiny bit short, you're not going to get kicked to the curb immediately. If they are getting blackmailed, if they do have huge problems at home with a spouse who needs medical treatment or something, they should feel like I can go to my boss and say, I'm in trouble. I have personal issues at home that I don't really know what to do about. I'm being blackmailed. We need an investigation. I need help. You know, do you have a culture where the person who is thinking about misconduct feels comfortable enough to speak out about it beforehand. I'm all for other people speaking up about misconduct when they see it. But the most important person is the one who's thinking about the misconduct. Will they speak up before they commit misconduct? Do they have that sort of culture where they feel like they can? You know, if you can get that person, your culture is outstanding. And then the rest of it becomes much easier. And like I said, if you can succeed on those things, your controls problem becomes much, much simpler because the people want to work with compliance. They want to stay within culture. Um, if they've decided that they have to do this, then, yeah, okay, you have fun with your controls because you're going to spend a lot on them. But once a person decides, I need to commit misconduct, they're going to find a way to do it. You need to get them before they decide, I need to do this. So the, the thing that really struck me about your last section uh, that you articulated there is, all three of these lines of defense intersect and interact together. If you remove one, you you really increase the propensity or at least the possibility that you could have a fraud event, a compliance event, an FCPA violation. So they really all work together in an interrelated fashion, if if I'm reading that right and understanding you. I, I think so. They do. And, you know, I'm not saying that if you ace culture, and you ace the values, you can ignore controls. You cannot. There's all sorts of accidental stuff that could happen that might lead to a event that looks like misconduct and gets you into trouble, but there was no intent. So that's another reason why you do need controls. Um, but, you know, getting it back to Bill Dudley and his great speech is that you know while he spoke about um, the need, uh, he spoke through the lens of financial services. He really did get to understanding. What is your culture? What are you telling employees? Are they seeing a difference there? How can you assess what your culture is? And in a different podcast, we could talk about that. There's plenty of ways you can do it. But he also zeroed in on, and most of his speech was about, incentives. Once you find out what your mission statement is and how far off you are from that target, look at your incentives. And are you driving people towards that good culture of long-term stability? Or are you sending them a different message with incentives Um, and incentives? You know, they tie very much into what is the culture? Uh, Is it going to create so much pressure that suddenly their values will start to crumble? Things like that. In a Dudley speech really tied it together quite well. I'd recommend anybody give it a read. It's so just thought provoking. It's good. It's detailed. I haven't seen something like this from a regulator in quite a while, but tackling some of the real root cause issues about governance and ethical conduct that 
are just driving us perpetually crazy here in ethics and compliance world. And he took them on. Well, and, and uh, I guess the, the last point I would just uh, end with, Matt, is that it struck me that uh, we had uh, the president of the New York Fed uh, talking to us about these issues in a way that, as you correctly note, are applicable to, to really any industry, and that we now have regulators from areas about as far outside the FCPA world as you can get talking about issues that have, have, we have talked about inside um uh, our little world for, for quite some time. So I think there's a, a, a growing understanding of how all of these issues intersect and they uh, can negatively impact companies in ways much broader than simply a fine or penalty levied by the Department of Justice for an FCPA investigation. And uh, Wells Fargo may have been the, the, the biggest and best, most recent, but have the, the New York Fed president talking about these issues uh, even in the United Kingdom, I think was a, a very big step forward for uh, cultural values as well. It was a great signal. Yeah, it was. We all benefit from Dudley giving this speech. Well, Matt, on that note, uh, I think we uh, would end this week's podcast. And uh, thanks a lot for the, um, like I said, the blog post. We're certainly going to link to it in the show notes. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you uh, down the road. Thank you very much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help our rankings and help get the word out about this most unique podcast that takes a deep dive into a compliance and compliance related issue each week. Also, Matt and I would love to hear from you. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again soon for the next episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.